You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. Quality attorneys at established law firms for about, I don't know, 20 bucks a month. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am your host, personal empowerment coach, Paul Colliani, and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show, as always, is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always seek guidance from a medical or therapeutic professional before making any changes to your treatments. So let's get right into balance. Balance is something that I have uh, strived to achieve uh, all my life because I started off as a people pleaser. I started off as the person that needed to neutralize every conflict and every situation before it got too bad. I always wanted to find that balance point so that people would, you know, get along. If they get along, then my life went better and their life went better. And if their life is going better, then my life goes better. And uh, there are people out there that have a great skill at doing this. They're the negotiators. They're the um, diplomats. They're the tactful friend. (laughs) They're the uh, diplomatic allies that we have at work and so on and so on. There are people that um, specialize in this and they didn't even practice. They just learned it from childhood. It, It started off probably as a hate to say it, dysfunction, because it's a good quality to have. It's a good resource to have when you need it. But sometimes these things start off as dysfunctions. For example, the uh, people pleaser dysfunction. If you are brought up in a household where one of your parents is always trying to placate the situation and keep the other parent from being angry or invoking bad behavior of any sort, they might tend to overcompensate and try to be nice and uh, be overly generous and try to make peace wherever they possibly can instead of speak up and honor themselves uh, just to avoid any conflict, any possible abuse, uh, anything like that. So the child picks up on this and goes, oh, so that's how we're supposed to uh, behave around other people. That's how we're supposed to treat other people. So when mommy is extra nice to Uncle Bill, even though Uncle Bill is yelling at her, that's how you are supposed to handle situations. So I guess I'll do that when I grow up. I mean, the kids don't think that, but that's what happens. You see time after time, uh, often one parent uh, has some sort of behavior that the child doesn't want to experience or the other parent doesn't want to experience. So the other parent or the child will develop behavior that uh, counters or uh, neutralizes their behavior and they learn to uh, squash the negative energy in their environment so that they don't have to live in fear or at least diminish the fear. They they can diminish the fear a little bit by um, acting in a certain way. Uh, it's learned behavior. A child would do this. Animals would do this. Animals will um, do certain things to get a treat 
dogs are notorious for this. They'll do certain things to get a treat and then they'll try something else and then they'll try something else and they'll do things without even us teaching them. And um, they're trying to get a need met of some sort or a want met of some sort. And children will do this too. Children may have a need of, I don't want to feel fear. I don't want to be hurt. So I'm going to develop this behavior and this behavior, I won't know how to shut off after I'm out of a quote, dangerous situation. I put quotes around it because as adults, we can look at it and think maybe it wasn't so dangerous, but as a child, it feels like we're going to die. feels like we're going to get killed. I mean, sometimes in some situations. So we don't know as children uh, what would happen if the worst case scenario unfolded. We just assume that the worst thing in the world is their bad behavior. So we don't want to deal with it. And uh, I mean, thinking that you're going to die is probably extreme, but certainly they don't, they don't want pain and they don't want, even want fear. So what do you do? You develop a different behavior. So this is what I'm saying about um, balance. Uh, if you grew up in a household that was supportive, loving, nurturing, and caring, and your parents didn't have too much dysfunction in their own life, which didn't get passed down to you, uh, then maybe you came out more balanced than, say, someone else that uh, maybe had um, an aggressive parent, a violent parent, or just a parent that they feared for one reason or another. And um, when there's any fear, there's typically some behavior that develops that the child, when they leave the house, uh, when they're old enough, they bring into their other relationships and it causes problems. And then if that dysfunction, what I like to call dysfunction, isn't handled or isn't healed from, then those problems are once again passed down to the children if there are any children created in the new family. So as far as balance is concerned, what I want to talk about specifically with balance is the balance of love and loving someone else and what you expect back in terms of love. So when you're in a romantic relationship, there is a way to communicate with the person and get your needs met by the person through uh, loving and kindness and respect. And hopefully if you're in any type of romantic relationship, you are giving that and getting that back, uh, hopefully equally. But then there are relationships that cannot meet that criteria. It cannot possibly meet that criteria for some people because some people had very traumatic childhoods. And when you have a very traumatic childhood, you have, well, you'll develop most of the time a different way of loving someone and understanding love and receiving love, giving it back. So when you meet someone who may have uh, their own beliefs about love, which we all do, or had developed their own dysfunctions around love, then you try to meet in the middle somewhere and sometimes it's hard or you can't. For example, I received an email with someone whose mom could never say I love you and still to this day doesn't share her personal feelings toward her. So instead of saying I love you, I would like you to stay with me instead of going to lunch with your dad, she turns it around and says, your dad can eat alone. Why don't you just stay here? She kind of points the finger at the other person and doesn't direct it at herself. And, you know, the person who wrote to me says, you know, that kind of hurts because 
I've never heard my mom say I love you, and she never expresses her feelings, and I feel like she's being inauthentic. And to a certain extent, she is, but to another extent, she's protecting herself. And this is where the idea of um, a dysfunction that you bring into the adult world uh, doesn't necessarily play well with everyone else's beliefs and perceptions. So if you have a child, if you have a partner, a romantic partner, or a friend, or anyone, a family member, that you think you love them more than they love you, it may not necessarily be true. Because we all have the ability to love. It's just that sometimes some people are afraid to do it as vulnerably as you or me. And that may or may not be you, but I'm just saying, if you are one of those people that can express love in a moment and say, I love you so much, honey, and your honey or your partner or your friend or your family member can't get into that space back, it doesn't always necessarily mean that they don't love you just as much, if not more. It doesn't always mean that. It can, but it doesn't always mean that. Sometimes it can mean I love you and I can't say it, but it's not you, it's me. Because if I say it, I put myself in a very vulnerable space. As soon as I open my heart like that and let you in, you could crush me. This happens. This can happen for a child that's gone through any type of abuse or trauma. And when they wanted love and wanted to give love to their parents or whoever gave them the traumatic experience and their parents crushed them in some way, um, put them down, made them feel bad about themselves or made them feel bad for being happy or loving, then that becomes a belief system in the person that grows up and is afraid to love people as openly as they possibly can because opening themselves up like that, like I said, is very vulnerable and can open them up for pain. I want you to imagine that. Imagine that every time in your past you opened yourself up to love someone, they crushed your heart. If you imagine yourself in that space, then it's hard to open yourself up for love again. So what you do is get as much and give as much as you can. So I know this kind of gives people a break for those that can't honestly say, I love you so much in the most sincere, deepest way that the other person may want to hear it. But at the same time, I think it's important to understand that if a person's past wasn't filled with a loving, nurturing, supportive family, they may not be able to get to that same place that you might get to. So if you're one of these emotionally needy people, like I consider myself, and you meet someone who's had any kind of past where love wasn't always a healthy thing, then you may not get your needs met 100%. Knowing this can help you relate to them better. Knowing this can help you perceive the other person in a way where you see that they may actually fear giving love. They might appreciate receiving love, but they may actually fear giving love. It doesn't mean they don't love. It doesn't mean they're not in love. It's just a matter of exposing themselves and being so vulnerable that if they 
put that out there, that they love you, suddenly that's a commitment to an open door that they can't shut because now it's out there. Now I've said, I love you. Now what happens? What are you going to do to me when I say that? And that conditioned response, uh, they carry with them until they get enough reinforcement that they're not going to be hurt for saying it. And that could take a long time if it ever happens. And that's just something to consider. If you're with someone who has trouble expressing the words, then you need to consider their actions and behavior. If you're the type of person who needs to hear the words, I love you, and they're incapable of saying that at all or often, then you need to consider what they're doing in their behavior. Because if their behavior shows that they love you, then that might be their extent. It doesn't mean they love you any less. It just means that's how far they can get inside themselves without stepping into a place of fear. And you don't want your loved ones to be in fear. You want your loved ones to feel safe. And that's where I'm going with this, is that if you are in any type of relationship with someone who is afraid to express themselves like you might be able to, or you know, vice versa, they can express themselves, but you can't. It's so important for the person that can and is able to be vulnerable and express themselves easily for them to be able to allow the person they're with to express themselves in a way that's comfortable for them and then not expect anything more. Now, this is the tough part (laughs) because if you're emotionally needy, like I tend to be sometimes, you're going to expect the other person to reciprocate in the same way uh, just for that reassurance, just so that you can feel good knowing, hey, this is true. But if you don't hear the words, you might have an old programmer in there that says, if they don't say the words, then it's not true. And when you do that, you might be discounting some real attempts at the person's ability to love you in the way they can love you. Now, I'm going to tie this all together in a moment, but let me give you an example. My girlfriend isn't comfortable saying I love you to me necessarily. She says it, uh, but it's often very infrequently and more when she feels probably the most safe, not just with me, just in herself, Uh, when she feels the most comfortable, when she's not under stress at work, when she doesn't have a billion other things on her mind, and when she can get to a place in herself that she feels the least amount of pressure, I would say. And um, when she's in that space, uh, she will say it. But it doesn't happen often. And this was hard for me to accept. It really was. When I first started dating her, I really wanted to hear the words back because I was taught when someone says it, they, it's more heartfelt, it's more meaningful, it, it means something to me it, internally. It touches my heart. But if it's not said, what do you do with that? Especially if you're used to hearing the words. Like in every other relationship I've had, my girlfriend or my wife or whoever I was with had no problem saying, I love you. And they said it often. In this relationship, it doesn't happen that often. And because of that, I had to develop a new way, a new understanding of what the heck that meant. (laughs) Did that mean I wasn't loved? 
And what I came up with is, okay, if I can't hear the words, what is she doing that shows me that she loves me? And I can count probably a hundred things right now. There's a lot that she's doing to show me that she loves me. I mean, she is committing herself to me and our talks are always about long-term and being with each other until we're old and gray. So that's huge. And that's important to remember is that what is your friend, your family, your partner doing to show you love when they can't say they love you? Now, like I said, I'm not giving everyone a break here saying if they don't say that they love you, that they must love you in another way because there are people that maybe don't love you and you need to know if that's true or not. That's when you look at their behavior and look at other things that they say and then you figure out, okay, is there love or is there not? Then you can decide whether this is a relationship you want to continue investing in or not. But if there is love, you're going to know. Even if the words aren't spoken, you're going to know. So to the person who wrote me and said, you know, I, I don't know if I can handle this uh, relationship with my mom because my mom never says I love you. I want you to know that your mom probably does. I mean, I'm just making an educated guess here because what she said was, okay, your dad can eat alone, implying there's a deeper meaning behind what she's saying, that she actually does want to spend time with you, but she may be incapable of telling you what you need to hear. And like you said in your letter, you know, maybe that's me needing a reassurance or something just to make me feel better, which it probably is. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting that reassurance and getting it. But I believe does need to be an understanding, a perception of someone else's life and what they went through and where they are today, that when they actually show their emotions or express their emotions, was it tainted from their past? Did it have a history of pain? And is that now a permanent thing for them? Is that pain something that drives them instead of their uh, wonderful feelings toward you? Because I have a feeling the pain or at least the fear of saying that, of being that vulnerable, is what really drives the person. So I would ask that you don't take it personally and see that they are in fear of saying it. Again, this is only for people that uh, you know love you through their behavior, through their actions, and other words that they say, but it's good for you to be in that space of understanding where they are. Because I tell you what, and this is where I wrap it up and tie it all together. When you can allow them to be that way and show that you aren't trying to pull any more out of them, then they might feel safe enough to get one step closer in the way you want them to be. Then they might feel safe enough to maybe open themselves up to be a little bit more vulnerable and perhaps express an emotion that you want to hear or feel. By allowing them to be who they are, where they are, and say what they want to say, and not expecting, I know you do expect, it's hard not to, trying not to make them feel like you expect more from them, then maybe they'll get to a safe place inside themselves where they can express themselves to you in a more authentic, more uh, reciprocal way where you feel uh, that assurance, where you 
actually feel the love that you're looking for. But it takes work. It takes a lot of work for you to provide that safety and that lack of too many expectations, especially if you're that type of emotionally needy person like I am. Like I have so many expectations and I want her to fulfill those expectations, but she isn't always capable of doing it. So I allow her to be, which does bring her closer to me. Oh, you gotta remember that one. Allow them to be to bring them closer to me. (laughs) So I'm gonna leave it there and I hope this helps. Thank you for writing that letter and um, I wish you the best. Send me an update. I hope things go well for you. We'll be right back. We're back. I'm going to tell you a little story, a quick little story. It's a legal situation that my girlfriend was in and also a, a medical situation because uh, many years ago, she got hit in the mouth with a baseball. She was watching her young son at the time uh, hit balls and uh, the ball went past her son, hit the safety fence. The safety fence gave way somehow and uh, collapsed or something. I don't know if it was like an add-on feature or something. And the ball went through and slammed into her mouth. And she went down, reached in her mouth, and saw that her front tooth had broken off. I can't imagine what that's like. Obviously, it was very painful. And she either went to the doctor or the dentist, and she had some stuff done. They took care of what they needed to take care of. And I think she had to get a uh, fake tooth made and uh, all kinds of trouble that she had to go through. Well, she had to call the park that um, where she got hit and the park said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And you know, that is our fault. We will take care of it. We're so sorry. This is what insurance is for. And so she felt good. It was like the park's going to take care of this. Thank God. And uh, so she went back to the dentist, started racking up some bills So she called the park back, and the park suddenly had a change of heart. Now they wanted to say, well, it's not really our fault, and, you know, you need to take care of it through your insurance. I don't know what they were saying to her, but they were starting to backpedal, which means they probably talked to each other and said, why should we take the blame for this? Because if we fight with our lawyers and she doesn't have any money or the power to fight back, then this will just go away. I'm putting words in their mouth, (laughs) but this is the stuff that happens in the world is that we get into a situation and then we think it's going to go fine and then somebody changes their mind and suddenly we're left holding the bag. And uh, this is what happened to her. She was suddenly left holding the financial bag to repair what happened to her mouth that day. So what she did was call Legal Shield. This is a service that you can pay about $20 a month for and talk to an attorney. Now you've probably heard me talk about getoutofthemess.com before and that is where you can go to connect with this service that Asha uses. And I want you to consider using this service because when Asha realized that the park was not going to come through and take care of it, she now had a legal battle. I don't know if you've ever been in a legal battle, but it can take 
many, many, many hours of paying an attorney, you know what it costs, $200, $300 an hour. And if you have to spend many, many hours fighting this, pretty soon you're getting into the costs of what it might cost you to just get it fixed yourself. So here she is, clearly not her fault that she got hit, yet they're trying to stick it on her. It was just a terrible situation. But because she had this service, she was able to call and talk to an attorney basically for free. I mean, you call, you speak to the attorney in your state or province, this is U.S. or Canada, and they guide you along the way and what you need to do. And if you do need to go to court, which she ended up doing, you end up paying, I don't know, it's a discount of like 20 to 25% off their fees, which is phenomenal. Because imagine a fee of two or $300 per hour that could go on for weeks or months or even years, minus 25%. It's going to be a phenomenal savings. So I love talking about this service. I want to hook you up with this service. Go to getoutofthemess.com or call Asha at 678-355-8777. And she'll let you know if this service is right for you. She's not there to sell you on it. She's just there to explain it and connect you with it. And yes, because she's an independent associate for them, she can give you all the info you need before you make any commitment, but she is there to answer your questions. She's not an attorney, but she knows a lot, and she is there to help you understand how the service works. Give her a call at 678-355-8777 or go to getoutofthemess.com. And we're back. I'm going to read you a message from someone I'm going to call Ricardo. A little Latin influence there. (laughs) I think we get the Latin transitions. We might as well have some uh, Latin influence in there. So Ricardo says, Paul, I recently began listening to your podcast after my girlfriend and I broke up. Thank you for your openness and sharing your experiences. The podcasts have forced me to take notice of some behavioral patterns that I have been in for as long as I can remember. Pretty wild I didn't connect the dots till now as they seem pretty obvious. The main reason I was able to identify them after all this time, aside from feeling pretty introspective lately, is my own dysfunctions mirror a lot of the struggles you described in yourself, where you invested yourself completely in relationships and also feeling deeply hurt when they ended. Also feeling like I always have to be nice and kind because I can't show my girlfriend anything other than my perfect self for fear of losing her, Uh, and also the cycle of becoming more masculine and confident early on, and then becoming feminine and submissive when I become insecure, that when will she figure me out thought. I've begun to understand where all this is coming from, but there is one particular point I've really been wrestling with, and I'm hoping that you can clear the air. I really struggle with shouldering all the blame for what happened. I'm not looking to point a percentage of blame at her or anything along those lines. I'm just incredibly hard on myself, and I feel like the downfall of the relationship was primarily due to my toxicity. I don't understand how I'm supposed to get past this knowing it's my fault as it's beating on my already pretty fragile state of mind. Conversely, the it's all my fault and had I just been more at peace with my emotions we would be fine is not a healthy mode to be in. I'm sure there is a better way to look at this and could use your assistance. 
Thank you again. Your show has made a tremendous impact on me and my understanding of the mind. If you choose to use this email, please keep my name private. Of course. (laughs) And he says, have a nice day. All right, Ricardo, thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, it is something I have definitely dealt with. And probably 99% of the uh, listeners have dealt with, which has to do with when a relationship ends and what we can look at and what we can learn from that relationship and the stuff that you've learned about yourself, whether you were listening to this show, whether you were on a self-help path, a personal growth path, I say congratulations because to find these things out about yourself, um, no matter what stage in life you're in, is the first step to having uh, more fulfillment and more of your power so that you can make decisions that are right for you. That's kind of my uh, catchphrase. I want you to make the decisions that are right for you because when you feel empowered, then you're not slipping into these little dysfunctions that can happen. Like you said, you felt like you always had to be nice and kind because you didn't want to show her anything else than your perfect self. Because if you showed her something that wasn't perfect, uh, she'd want to leave. She'd want to break up with you. When in reality, in the long term, what happens is when you hide your authentic self from the person you're with, they can't figure out why there's something odd about the relationship or what that odd thing is, but they fall out of love. I mean, I speak from my own past where every girl that I've been with has fallen out of love with me. And when I look back, uh, the things you cited in this email are pretty much the main reasons, aside from other stuff that I've talked about, all these dysfunctions that I had, (laughs) my people pleasing and my judging. And I laugh about now because I've healed from these. Uh, I felt bad when I found out that I had these things and that I hurt the people I was with. It is not a pleasant thing. Um, And it's sort of like where you feel bad now because you are shouldering all of the blame for what happened. So first of all, if you're a regular listener to this show, you already know that you both play a role. You're both part of the equation of a relationship. And often there is one person that can be more of a challenge to the success of the relationship than the other. So what that means is that it is quite possible, I'll say probable because you've identified a lot of, a lot of this stuff in you that you were the challenge to this relationship. But with any relationship, there are two, sometimes more people, <laughs> depends on the type of relationship, but let's just talk about the typical relationship. There are two people that play a role. And what that means is you can have an enabler and the person with the dysfunction that is being enabled. That doesn't describe every single relationship on earth. It just describes the typical relationship with the issue when there's one person more challenging to the relationship that challenges the relationship in a way that uh, keeps it from being everything it can be. For example, I was the main challenge in uh, all of my relationships. I can probably admit Uh, I look back and think that I was possessive, I was jealous, I was judgmental, I was this, that, emotionally abusive, all these things, and realize, wow, I was the main challenge in all those relationships because they would get worn out by my behavior. 
I see that and I can also say that them staying in that relationship was also a dysfunction. I definitely don't blame them for doing it. We all do things in relationships that we learn later that maybe we shouldn't do. I look back at my past and I go, the women in my life should have left a lot earlier. I really think that that would have helped them not uh, become so, I don't know, jaded by me or hurt or abused, emotionally abused. If they chose to leave earlier, to honor themselves, to not be treated in an inferior way, which I'm sure they felt with me, then they could have gotten on with their life a lot faster. They could have felt better in themselves. They may not have had some of the issues like my wife had where she started getting depressed and losing her passion and me looking at that going, wow, I know what role I played in that and uh, on and on and on. Now, that doesn't mean I was just a terrible guy every single relationship I was in. I, I think I was a nice guy and I was accommodating and I was generous. I was a people pleaser and I think I had a good sense of humor. So all of these things add up and I had dysfunctions that caused a challenge to the relationship. So there was a mix and it was hard to leave once you're in love because that's what happens. We, get, we fall in love and then we don't want to leave because now we feel secure with this person. We know this person well. We're very comfortable with this person and we don't want to leave it. Yet we have these issues. We have these challenges. And then we think, well, every relationship must have these challenges. Or if we don't think that, we think, well, I don't want to change because I don't know what not being with this person will be like, so I don't want to experience that. And I could go on and on about uh, why we wouldn't leave a relationship. But my point is that um, I look back and I see that I created a bad situation for the romantic partners in my life. I created a bad situation. As much as it was fun and good, it was also decaying for them. It was also challenging. It was also very hard for them. So where I'm going with this is that uh, there was a time after my, well, during my marriage and after my marriage where I started learning that I was the cause for much of the dysfunction in my relationships throughout my life. And learning that and realizing what I did to these wonderful people in my life uh, it started to hurt. I started to feel shame. I started to feel guilt. And just like you said, I shouldered all of this blame for what I did. So if you haven't listened to my episode on self-forgiveness, I think I have a couple, and also dealing with guilt, that's going to help you greatly. I highly recommend those. Just go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and type in the word guilt and you'll find a bunch there. Uh, also forgiveness or forgive, and you'll find the um, posts that come up related to that. Uh, but here I'll just say this. When it comes to feeling the blame, I'm assuming there's guilt with that. Because if you felt blame without guilt, then you'll have to tell me what you're feeling other than guilt. But I'm going to assume that you feel some guilt or a lot of guilt for what has happened in this relationship. And if that's the case, the way I deal with guilt is A, understand my behavior that led to me feeling bad about that behavior. In other words, I felt guilty for mistreating my wife. So that behavior, that mistreatment, 
which was a lot of judgment and even emotional abuse, like the silent treatment, withdrawing my emotions, stonewalling, uh, where I don't want to talk about something and I just want to keep her in limbo while I sulk or whatever. Uh, all of these things were a way to keep her in a space of not feeling loved and worthy and important and significant and uh, definitely the person that she was. But I tried to take that away. I tried to take away that power so that she would feel bad because I wanted to control her. So when I started learning about this behavior in me and how much it hurt the other person, I felt really bad. I felt guilty. I felt shame, like I was saying. And so the first thing I do with this guilt is understand this behavior. Explore it in yourself. What behavior did I do that I don't feel good about? And then B, you change that behavior so you never do it again. And if you catch yourself in that old behavior, you stop yourself. You go, whoa, there's that old behavior. I still do this to this day. I catch myself in old behavior. And when I do, I go, wow, there is something that I haven't done in a while. Uh, let's take a step back. What's going on? Why am I doing this? What's happening? And I really check in to make sure that I don't fall into that old pattern. And that could mean that I still have some resolving, some healing to do. And I certainly address it when it comes up. Um, but at minimum, stop the behavior. Once you understand the behavior, don't do it again. So that's the second part. C, the third part for dealing with guilt, is not only do you identify and stop the behavior, you create new behavior, and this is going to sound a little strange, that makes up for the old behavior. Or maybe it doesn't sound strange, but <laughs> that's what I do. I create new behavior that makes up a thousand times for the old behavior. So if I was judgmental before and I was trying to control my wife's behavior, then I'm going to make up for that by being completely uncontrolling and allow the person in my life to do almost anything they want. I know that sounds a little strange, but what I'm doing is I'm trying to rebalance something inside of me. If I was controlling before, then I need to let go of control. If I wanted to stop my wife when I was married or my girlfriend now from doing something that I am against, then I step back and go, wait, I'm trying to control this. How would I behave if I wasn't controlling? And then I do that behavior. It's a matter of making the conscious choice to do almost the opposite behavior of what you feel bad about in the past. It's sort of like, um, I used to mistreat my brother when we were kids. I was uh, his older brother. And, you know, I would make him eat cat food and tell him it was real food. I'm not proud of it, but that's what I did. And uh, I would uh, get him in trouble and make him take the blame. I would make him my scapegoat for the things that I did. It was awful. And I felt bad, like, I don't know, 20 years later when I thought about it. I go, oh, my God, I just realized I did all this stuff to my brother. I feel terrible. So when I go see my brother, I treat him nicer than any relative. I mean, I treat all my relatives nicely, but I remember that time and I make up for it in the moment. I have even apologized to him for how I treated him when, I, when we were younger. And he doesn't even remember a lot of the stuff that happened, but I still need to make up for that in myself. And I keep doing the opposite of what I did 
until I feel that the balance has been reached, until I feel like there's an emotional balance in me. Even if the other person isn't aware of it, I need to make it up in myself. This is what I did when I brought my cats to the Humane Society in my 20s. I was immature. I didn't know what to do with my cats. Instead of you know, giving them to someone else, I just brought them to the Humane Society because I thought that's what you're supposed to do with animals that you didn't want. And, that, and you know, 10, 15 years later, all this guilt flooded into me and I felt so sad. And I realized I can't believe I did that to my pets. Those pets that trusted me and came to me to be fed and be loved and just wanted to live their lives in synergy with me. And I got rid of them. I felt so awful about it. I don't even know what happened to them. And so when I felt this flood of guilt come in, I needed to do something about it. And I didn't know what to do about it because the past is the past. It's already gone. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can change. So what I decided to do was commit myself to any animal that came into my life and treat them with the most love and the most respect and do whatever it took, pay whatever it took to make sure that they were healthy and happy. And, you know, that kind of thinking led to when I lived in Texas with my wife, we saw a cat sleeping on a stump in the snow. And my wife took the initiative to say, let's get this cat. And I'm like, all right, well, we got to get this cat. Not necessarily for to live with us because we couldn't have pets where we were, but um, to take him somewhere that he could be taken care of. And so there was this big fluffy white cat, might have been a Himalayan or Persian or something, and um, he looked very weak and he was sleeping in the snow. It was snow, literally snowing out and he was resting on a stump in the snow. It was very sad and uh, we didn't want to see him suffer like that. So we did end up catching him and then we drove to a no-kill cat shelter and it's just this big house that was transformed into, um, I don't want to call it a cat house. That might not sound right, but there are just lots and lots of cats. Uh, the whole house is designed for cats and uh, they were taking care of the cats and it was a great place to adopt cats and leave cats. So that's what we did. We, we brought him there and um, I also made a donation. Then we felt pretty good that he was going to be taken care of. I think we also paid for some uh, veterinarian stuff too uh, because they have to check him in and they found out that he had uh, feline leukemia. I don't know when we found that out, but you know that was even a further sad thing because now he had this disease that um, who knows what would have happened had he not been treated for that. But um, you know that made me feel pretty good. It's like we, we saved this cat where before I, I feel like I killed my cats. That doesn't mean it made up for it. It was just one little step in the right direction. Now, what really helped is like I think two months later is when we, we got a, a letter in the mail from this no-kill place and uh, the featured cat of the month was the cat that we brought. It looked like an, an entirely different animal. They'd cleaned him up. They were taking care of him. And he was gorgeous and healthy. And when I showed my wife, she cried. And then I felt really good knowing that we gave this cat a new life, that we gave it a chance. 
And that moment really stuck with me. And other stories that I could tell you regarding animals and what uh, the steps I've taken to make sure that I do my part have been what has helped me get beyond the guilt. Doesn't mean I don't feel bad. It just means I've gotten beyond the guilt that used to hold me back, that used to cause me to not take action. Because guilt is really an obstacle to action. If you feel guilty, then you're sulking typically and you're not moving forward. When you move forward and do something the opposite of what you've done in the past, of behavior that you didn't agree with in yourself or don't like about what you did, when you do the opposite of what you did in the past, something that you felt bad about, and do something now that you feel good about that is in the same category, that is, like I said, the opposite of what you've done, then that guilt starts to diminish and you reach a new place in yourself. So with you, Ricardo, the reason I told you that story is that I want you to, okay, acknowledge the blame, which you're doing. You're acknowledging the guilt, which I'm asking you to do. Acknowledge your behavior, your role in the challenges that you brought into the relationship. Great, you can do that, no problem. You're, you're already doing it. Also acknowledge that she played a role in your dysfunction. That doesn't mean you blame her for sticking around. It just means that you can continue doing bad behavior when someone is there to help you continue doing it. I'm not saying she was doing it consciously, and I'm not saying that she appreciated it, and, and I'm not saying that she's to blame. I'm just saying that she was part of the equation and has a responsibility to stay in something she doesn't like or leave something she doesn't like. And it sounds like maybe she left that, but it may have taken her longer, but she still played a role in that behavior. Only in the sense that she was there to tolerate and not kick you to the curb, not um, put you in your place, whatever that was. Maybe because she didn't know what you were doing exactly. I mean, that's what happens. It sounds like some of the stuff you were doing was emotional abuse. And emotional abuse isn't necessarily conscious all the time. You just do it and you make the other person feel bad and feel emotionally wounded and guilty. And for the victim of emotional abuse, they don't often know what's happening. It's just a slow breakdown of who they are. And so they don't really know the downward spiral is actually happening. So they continue that downward spiral until they get to a point where they can't take it anymore or there's a realization or a friend mentions your behavior or something. And uh, then they make a decision to get out. And even when they get out, they may not fully understand what exactly happened in the relationship. But that is uh, why I make the mean workbook. If you're interested in that, the mean workbook, I say I talk about it all the time, but it, it does highlight all this stuff that you're talking about. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash mean, M-E-A-N, and you'll learn a lot from that. But back to my point regarding shouldering the blame, absolutely start doing things today. I know you're not together from what I read in your email. Start doing things today that make you the best damn catch you can be for someone else. That might mean uh, if you mistreated your girlfriend, uh, first of all, if you're still in communication with her at all, then it's a great place to come to to be apologetic and go, wow, I'm so sorry. I just realized everything I did to you and I feel really bad about that. I'm sorry. 
and then leave it at that. Don't leave any strings attached saying, I miss you, let's talk, anything like that. Just say, I'm sorry, if you want, and then let it go. Let her go. That will show her that you realize what you did, your behavior, and how it impacted her. And that you care about her so much that you're willing to let her go and not expose her to you anymore. And that sounds so awful when I say it, but what it does is it shows the other person that you really care and support them being happy. And if you do that with her, support her being happy, that's a step in that direction away from guilt. That's a step that shows that you really do care. So I don't know if you communicate with her anymore. I don't know what that situation is. You may not be able to do that. But what you can do is when you get into another relationship or even in any platonic relationship that you're in, you start to make up for it by not being the person you were. You actually start practicing doing that opposite behavior. And that will really help you get to a place of being a better person for anyone that shows up in your life. And also think about it this way. Let's just say that you don't get into a relationship for a while and you still feel like all this blame and guilt then if you still have communication with her, you can write her an email, you can write her a letter, but make sure there's closure in there for her and for you. She may not get closure from it, but make sure that you close it again with no strings attached. Don't make it sound like you're trying to get her back. Even if you feel that, I mean, you need to make sure that you support her path, you support her relationships. If she's in another relationship, you support anything that she wants to do with her life. And you also highlight that you realize the challenge you brought into the, the relationship and for her. So that's great if you're in still in communication in any way, shape, or form, and you send that off and you leave it be and you forget about it. And just let it do what it needs to do for her. And then you move back into yourself and start to understand why you feel guilty. If you feel guilty because you made her feel bad, then what can you do to step into a place where you feel good? Now, this may not involve another relationship. This may involve donating time or money to a charity. This may involve reaching out to someone you haven't talked to in a long time and brightening their day. This may involve, I don't know, I'll throw it out there, paying for the groceries and for the person in front of you or paying for the food for the car behind you in the drive-thru. This could involve a number of things. But what you do is start rebuilding your ego in a healthy way. Because this is probably what it's about, right? Your ego took a hit, your emotional balance took a hit, and now you want to get back on track. I mean, it sounds weird to say let's rebuild your ego, but I do believe in a healthy ego that when you have it, you have a good balance between wanting to be a success in your life and not going so far that you're arrogant and ignorant and close-minded and things like that. But if your ego took a big hit and you are very insecure and need to feel more secure, a lot of the times it's very healthy to rebuild that ego, work on that ego. And what that might mean is you start to build some pride in what you do. If you feel good paying for the guy behind you in a drive-thru and it gives you some pride to watch his expression or her expression on their face when they get up there and they try to pay, 
And that good feeling sticks with you. That is one way to build a healthy ego. And as you build a healthy ego and you feel good about the things you do and you, quote, make up for how you behaved in this relationship, in your next relationship, by doing the opposite behavior, then you'll find that the guilt diminishes and you might still feel bad. You might still feel like, oh, I wish I had done something different. At least guilt will stop occupying you as much as, as, much as it is. So let me say a couple more things uh, to close this up. Um, when you say, you know, how do I look at this? Do I just say it's all my fault? Had I just been more peace with my emotions, we would have been fine. Uh, you just don't think that's a healthy mode to be in. I think it's great to own your fault in something. I don't typically call it fault. I just call it responsibility. Uh, something could be your fault, I guess, but what is your responsibility? Once you know what your responsibility in something is or was, then you know what your responsibility will be going forward. So I think it's vital to own your responsibility in what went wrong and what went right. But focusing on the guilt is owning that, yes, I did this to this person. I take responsibility for this and I will never do that again. I mean, that's a commitment you make to yourself. I will never do that again. I mean, that's the commitment I made when I felt guilt for taking my cats to the Humane Society. I said, I will never, ever do that to another animal again. And that might mean I move someplace that decides they don't want animals. And if I have an animal, I would have to move out instead of getting rid of the animal. And I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad for if they had to get rid of their animal for any reason whatsoever. I'm not here to judge you for that. I'm here to just say that that was my issue, my challenge, my guilt. And I just wanted to share, you, share with you what I did to alleviate that guilt. So like I said, own your responsibility. Just own it. There's nothing you can do about it. You did it. All right, I did it. Which it sounds like you might be doing. But it's not necessarily unhealthy. It's just a matter of getting to a place of acceptance. There's nothing I can do about the past. I did it. What can I do about the future? What can I change? If you focus on the past, that's like driving, staring into the rearview mirror, never looking at the road in front of you. You'll crash. So it's vital that you start focusing on what you can do that's good for you and everyone else so that you create a healthier space for you and everyone else. And one other thing that you said in your email, and I'm going to close it off with this, is that when you feel like you always have to be kind and nice because you don't want to show her anything else than your perfect self, because you fear that you'll lose her. It sounds like you've learned about that in yourself, and you've also learned that showing nothing but one side of you is uh, a great way to decay the relationship. It is not healthy. It is a way to activate their subconscious flags, their warning systems that tell them, this person isn't showing me all sides of themselves, they're only showing me what they believe I want to see. And when that happens, they grow suspicious. And it may not be an overt suspicion. It could be just a feeling. And the feeling grows and they don't know what to do with it. And eventually the feeling can override being in love. Can happen and it does because it happened to me. I showed up as that one-sided person, always showed them the best of me, the positive side of me, never showed my anger, never... Uh, said anything in conflict, rarely disagreed, and definitely avoided um, fighting. 
because I never wanted to let them see a side of me that I believed they wouldn't like. And I'm here to say that when you go through life hiding the side of you that you believe others won't like, you'll find that many people won't like you. They might like hanging out with you. They might think you're the best person in the world. But authentic bonding and loving and really intimately connecting with someone requires all sides of you to come through. That doesn't mean you tell every secret in the world. It just means if you're one of these people that's always nice and accommodating and generous and people-pleasing even, and you never show another side of you, you never really develop authentic friendships and you usually get burned out. And I have a few episodes on people-pleasing that will help with that if you're struggling there too. Anyway, thank you so much, Ricardo. I appreciate you. Thank you for your words about me in the show. I hope this helps. We'll be back and uh, close the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsor, GetOutOfTheMess.com. If you are looking for, I don't know, sort of a legal insurance plan, I want you to call Asha at 678-355-8777 or visit her website at GetOutOfTheMess.com and just ask her a question if this service is right for you. And I want to thank members of the patron program. If you're in the patron program, you are an integral part of keeping this show on the air, keeping it supported and helping me bring uh, messages of empowerment to the world. So I thank you, patron members. I appreciate you. And if you want to join the patron program, you can go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com, and that's where you can give back and also get back, because I give you episodes, workbooks, and even email coaching if you are seeking that. So check it out, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And I'd also like to thank those of you who are using the Amazon link on theoverwhelmedbrain.com. It is around that time where Amazon is used for a lot of people's shopping habits. So go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and use the Amazon link every time you shop. And that also helps support the show. And finally, I want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And in closing, I want to mention that um, we all have the capability to manipulate and to emotionally abuse and for a long period of time I had no idea I was doing it and if you ever find that your relationship is going downhill or your partner is just not as happy as they could be first of all congratulations because you're aware you're conscious of it what that means is that you can do something about it that means you can look at your behavior and ask yourself, what can I do differently? What can I do to improve me? It's not necessarily improving the relationship, although that is part of it, but what can I do in me, for me, to improve the person I am that I bring into the relationship? So if you find your relationships just not as good as it could be, if you're in a relationship, if not, then think about the things that you've done in your past in the relationships that you've had that may have caused issues that may have been challenging to the longevity to closeness that you could have had in the relationship because 
like I was saying, the type of manipulation and emotional abuse that I was doing throughout my life whenever I was with someone that I fell in love with was something very unconscious because I never knew I was doing it because, like many people, even maybe you, you were brought up in some sort of dysfunctional household or you were taught how to treat other people by people who didn't know how to treat other people well uh, or you learned survival or coping skills that you transformed into how to treat other people when you were older, how to treat your loved ones uh, and the type of behavior that you think protects you and you think leads to a successful outcome as far as relationships are concerned but really turn out to be destructive. Like we learn these behaviors and we don't know they're destructive. I learned so many destructive patterns and behaviors when I was a kid. And to have the realization, just be grateful that you can discover something is going on. So if you're conscious of the issues that are going on in your relationship, that is the first step to understanding that you can do something about it. Now, it may be too late. I'm not going to tell you that once you are conscious, then you can automatically change things and go in the, the right direction. You can start doing that for yourself, for sure. But the relationship itself is a separate entity, and it could be salvaged or maybe not. When I realized uh, my judgment issues were causing most of the problems in my marriage, my wife had already fallen out of love with me. Because... My behavior caused her to feel bad about herself over and over and over again to the point where she fell out of love. How can you love someone you don't feel safe around? I made her feel unsafe. Her top value is feeling safe in a relationship and I crushed it. So for our relationship, it was too late. But it's never too late for you to understand what you might be doing in the relationship, what you might be putting into the relationship that may not be working. So it's very good to learn this stuff about yourself so that you can do something about it so you don't bring it forward from this point on. I know it's hard to transform. It was very hard for me to understand how to get from being judgmental to being accepting and compassionate and allowing my partner in life to do what they wanted to do for them instead of what I wanted them to do for me. And once you let go of that control, if you feel like you have to control the situation, if you feel like you have to control the other person, once you let that go, the relationship can improve. Doesn't mean it'll be saved, but this, is, this might be the only way to go in that direction. Uh, but for sure, you will be saved. That's a, probably a bad way to put it, but you will be uh, improved. You will be able to work on yourself and heal from these things and it's not easy you have to go through a process of understanding yourself how it's affecting other people how it's affecting you what results you're getting in life and if you look in your past are you the common denominator for some of the things that are happening in your life and even if you're not what is your level of responsibility and accepting that level of responsibility so that you understand where things might have gone wrong uh, where things could be improved. And once you start understanding that about yourself, then you have to deal with all these emotional triggers that caused some of this behavior. And it goes on and on. I know it's a lot of work. It really is. But what happens is 
you start healing from one thing at a time. And once you process and heal from one thing, the rest of it just gets easier. It's still hard, <laughs> but it's a lot easier than this entire spectrum of overwhelming things that have happened in your life. It's a lot easier to handle 49 things than 50 things. And once you get rid of that one thing and you heal from it and it no longer plagues you and it's no longer a dark cloud that hangs over you, suddenly it's a little lighter. There may still be a lot of work, but it's always a little lighter when you get one thing out of the way. So whether that's a baby step or a quantum leap of healing that you can do, it always leads to the next step being lighter. That's why it's always important to work on yourself and continue improving yourself and making sure you're always going in that right direction. That's what I want for you is always going in that right direction. And if you believe you're doing any of the behaviors that I described in this episode, but you can't pinpoint them, then I'm going to endorse this. It's something I've worked on for a year. The Mean Workbook helps you identify those behaviors, if not in your partner, also in yourself. It was designed for the person who feels like they're in a, a manipulative or emotionally abusive relationship. But as you go through the process, you'll discover things about yourself as well. Like, wait a minute, I do that to my partner. I swear if I had this assessment when I was married, I would have had an earlier opportunity to understand just exactly how I was methodically destroying my relationship. So if you feel like there are things things about your relationship that you just can't figure out what's going on, the Mean Workbook is what uh, highlights that. And of course, you don't have to buy the Mean Workbook. You can keep listening to this show and uh, piece together what's going on in your life. I just put the Mean Workbook together so that you'd have everything in one place and get into some really specific details that help you pinpoint and get laser focused on exactly each piece of the puzzle that will help you put together the bigger picture of what's going on in your relationship. Plus the 200 point uh, checklist really is the most enlightening part of it. And it's not always a pleasant enlightenment, but at least it makes you feel like you're not going crazy. That's what I want for you. Don't go crazy. <laughs> you can get the mean workbook at theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash mean. I want you to be able to create the life you want. I want you to feel comfortable in your own skin and even maybe happy and fulfilled and getting to a place inside of you where you're not always worried or anxious or stressed or concerned. Yes, there are stressors and it's never going to change. The world has stressors. There's just too much diversity. There's too many differing opinions. There's too many natural disasters. There's just so much in the world that can go wrong. And then there's also a major part of the world that goes right, that somehow works, that somehow becomes organized in all the chaos. And you wonder, how did I make it through that? How did I make it through that? I mean, I look at my past and go, geez, I crashed on a motorcycle when I was 17 and I fell off a 15 foot drop. It was a dirt bike. <laughs> I went over this jump and uh, it was a construction site. So they had dug out the landing and I didn't know they dug it out. And uh, suddenly I'm in midair with no landing. Scary as hell. 
and uh, I don't know what I did. I think I blacked out or closed my eyes or something. But when I opened my eyes, uh, I looked and my dirt bike was like 15 feet away from me. I was uh, on the ground with my head next to a giant rock. No, I wasn't wearing a helmet. It was dumb. <laughs> and uh, uh, the kid I was riding with comes flying over in his dirt bike, drops it, runs over to me. He's like, oh my God, are you all right? Oh my God. I was like, uh, I think so. And I got up and I started limping and I had like sprained my ankle or something. It wasn't bad, but it was like, oh, something happened. <laughs> so I realized, wait, I'm hurt, but I'm alive. How the heck did I live through this? I think I closed my eyes in midair and just landed somehow, but not on the bike. <laughs> I just landed on the ground and I lived. So I look at times like that, just like you can look at your life and go, how did I make it through that? Maybe it wasn't in a stunt like that. Maybe it was through a terrible relationship. Maybe it was through a terrible job. Maybe it was a life-threatening situation. And when you think, wow, I could have died or I could have been physically hurt. I could have been hit by that car. He missed me by an inch. I could have and I almost did and I almost was and so on and so on. And then we can look at our lives and go, I can't believe I'm here. That's incredible. How did I make it? That's why I think that, yes, there's a lot of disaster and terror and all this other stuff in the world. And there's also an amazing amount of luck <laughs> and opportunity and options. And even if you don't feel like you have any options, I think that shows like mine and people out there that want to help you learn, grow, heal, and evolve. There are so many people out there that want you to feel better, to be better, to be a success, that it really shows uh, the direction that the world wants to go in. And I want you to be a part of that direction. I want you to continue with this forward momentum, moving forward with an open mind so that you can step into your power. Each step forward is into your power. Even the baby steps. So always be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Every step does lead to your growth and evolution. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing.